Rachel. Hi, Walls. Welcome back to I Have a Question with Rachel and Walls. A show where we usually check in, ask each other a question. It could be about anything. It could be about everything and drop a hot wreck. But this time we've been gone for five months. So we need to spend a little bit longer on our check in, a little bit less time on the question. And the wrecks will come as they may. Whew. Yes, indeed. It's been a minute, hasn't it? <laughs> it's been a five-month minute. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And a, and a big five months. So we're back now. It's February 2022. And when we last talked, outside of teasing this week's episode, it was the beginning of September 2021. And the reason that we decided to take a hiatus is we both had very big life changes happening pretty much at the same time, and we just needed to deal with our lives without the responsibility of making sure that we had something worthwhile to say to you guys every week. So now that our lives have settled down a bit, here we are. And mm-hmm. uh, should we start our check-in? I think we should. Okay. We're going to go chronologically. So, Rachel, maybe you can kick us off with what was happening in the fall of 2021 for you. There was a big life change for me. There's no great or graceful way to say it. But basically, my grandmother died mm-hmm. on September 6th at about 4.30 p.m. And a Monday, um, I feel like I'm writing a novel. It was 4.30 p.m., September 6th, a Monday. That was a big, big change for me because my grandmother is uh, a second mother to me, was a second mother to me. And for anyone who knows me, my grandparents, my grandma and granddad, basically co-raised me Mm -hmm. um, with primarily my mother and secondarily my father. Um, So I lost my granddad in December of 2017 and my grandma this year, or, well, last year (laughs) now. Um, So for me, that was kind of like losing two parents in a very relatively short time Mm -hmm. span. So I just didn't feel emotionally equipped to... I don't know, be entertaining on a podcast. So I wanted to take a break to grieve a little bit. And um, yeah, no, it's a huge change. And your brain just literally doesn't have the capacity to face anything that's potentially optional when you're in that space. Yeah. And I'm very, very, very lucky in that In a weird way, because of the pandemic, during the pandemic, with things in the acting world slowing down for a little while, I was able to get back to Cleveland quite a lot during the beginning of the pandemic and in the two years, year and a half before she died. And so I was able to see her a lot, which I'm so grateful for. And I was able to see her before she died. She very rapidly declined for anyone 
I'm just curious. <laughs> I don't know if you want the gory details, but I'm going to give them. So here you go. She had congestive heart failure for a long time and she was doing fine, doing fine, doing fine. And then she rapidly declined and had to go into hospice very suddenly. And she was dead in less than a week. And she went into hospice on a Wednesday. And by Saturday mid-morning afternoon, she had basically slipped into a coma and mm. had become unresponsive. And I got in on Saturday evening. Oh, my gosh. Um, so unfortunately, I just missed her being conscious and being able to respond. But I was there and, you know, able to hold her hand and talk to her. Who knows if she could hear me and understand me. I kind of picture it as the, the nurses. They kept on saying, like, oh, hearing is the last thing to go. She can hear you. She can hear you. And I, I'm i willing to believe that. I, I'm willing mm -hmm. to believe that you can hear things when you're in a coma. But I kind of imagine it like the adults in Charlie Brown, like, wah, 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 wah. Like, you can hear it, but can you really comprehend it? Can you take it in? I don't know. But yeah, I don't um, know. It was a, one of those rare occasions where my nocturnal habits, um, my being a night owl, weirdly came in handy. Our family ended up taking shifts to sort of mm -hmm. be with her. She had woken up and no one was there yet. My aunt had been there all night, but my grandma was asleep and didn't know that. And my aunt left early in the morning and the next person, there was like an hour or two gap before the mm -hmm. next person arrived. And my grandma woke up and thought she was all alone and that mm -hmm. no one was with her as she was dying. And she was really mm -hmm. sad and freaked out and scared. And so then we... That someone always be with her, even though she was in a coma, just in case she woke up and, you know, um, so other people would basically take the day shift and my mom and I, nocturnal creatures, would mm -hmm. take the night shift and we just sat next to her bed and did a puzzle and would occasionally talk to her and go pray the rosary with her and tell her how much we loved her and how grateful we were for everything that she had done for us and how much can you say thank you to someone who enabled your entire life, who paid for your whole education, who raised you, who gave you baths, who woke you up in the morning, who made you go to bed at night, who mm -hmm. took you to school every single day and took you home from school every single day, even after you got a driver's license and could drive yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, like, how do you say goodbye oh. to that person? But on Sunday night, the night before she died, she was becoming a little bit more responsive, like mm -hmm. moving a little bit, moving her hands a little bit. My mom and I were just talking to her and, you know, really saying how much we loved her and we're grateful to her. And, and she was sort of like making the gesture like a pharaoh with her arms crossed over her chest mm -hmm. which she hadn't been doing before and, and we would i mean say, it's also called corpse pose oh god is it oh well great see i was but... gonna take the for once in my life 
I was going to not be skeptical and I was going to be positive and I was going to say, you know, I was taking it as her going, I love you too. She's like oh, you know, gesturing to that. her heart. Yeah. She's like, so we would say, I love you. And she would sort of like tap on her chest like that. Wow. But it also probably... The skeptical part of me was like, oh, the morphine was wearing off and she needed more morphine. And she was trying to be like, I can't breathe. My, <laughs> my chest pain. hurts. I'm in pain. But, oh, God. But I'm going to take the positive. That was probably the truth. But I'm the truth is probably she was in pain. But I'm going to take it as she was trying to communicate that she loved us through a coma. Um, but, you know, such is life. Uh, but the next day, you know... It became clear that she was going to die that day, and so all of us were there. Not everyone was able to make it home on such short notice, but um, but several cousins and all of her living children did make it back. And those of us who were there at that point, we were all around her bed when she died, and it was really meaningful and lovely to be together. Yeah. Even if she didn't know we were there i'm glad we were there yeah <sighs> i think so much about a grief process and saying goodbye obviously an amount of it is for the person who is leaving but so much of it i think is for the people who stay yeah yeah and so like you all being there that's i think for each other as much as for her. Yeah, exactly. That that is a part of the grieving process that I have not really gotten to participate in when I've, for the people that I've lost. And I think is really helpful in healing and moving through it because it's actually participating in it. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we had a funeral to plan and that's, there's, it's, there's, oh you have no idea. Until you're in it, how many logistics mm -hmm. surround death? Mm -hmm. Like it is just a logistical nightmare, <laughs> and you, there's so many tiny little details that you haven't thought of. That like, yeah, I, I mean, she was as prepared for death as anybody. She had her mm -hmm. affairs in order, and yet there's still so many things. Like we didn't ask her what. What hymns she would like to be played at the funeral, and maybe we should have. And so this is grim, but like, like start thinking about these kind of things and start talking about these kinds of things with the people that you love, because <laughs> death comes for us all. <laughs> um, that it do, and it's a gift to the people you leave behind to be prepared. I will say that even amidst grief, you know, and just being overwhelmed with choices and everything like that there's still moments of delightful humor where you're just all <laughs> like just for example the day she died there was one of her great joys in life was ice cream she loved ice cream it was one of the only things she cared about and liked to eat like she had no taste buds like there could not be a less, less culinary person on the planet. She is as far from a gourmand as you could possibly be. She could eat sawdust and be fine. 
didn't care except for ice cream. Loved ice cream. The day she died, we had been driving past this, you know, famous ice cream shop, Honey Hut. It's where Joe Biden went to get ice cream. And, you know, he's an ice cream connoisseur. We've been driving past it every day to go visit her. And we all were just like, <laughs> do you want to get ice cream? It's a hard day. Yeah. This is what gra grandma wished would have wished she could get ice cream. Maybe we can go get ice cream and make ourselves feel a little better. So we go. My mom decides to get a smoothie and she gets a fruit smoothie. But I don't know if this is typical of their of their offerings, <laughs> but oh dear god. I don't know what they were doing or if they didn't blend it properly, but there was like full-blown banana peel in it. Like <gasps> chunks of banana peel. No. <laughs> and like just like bits of stem of unidentified fruit. And it was not... What? It was... It was Someone like, just put like a whole banana in. They didn't. Oh, banana, first. whole bits of other fruit with the stems, like apple stem. Like it was a nightmare smoothie. <laughs> you couldn't suck it up through the straw. We each took turns trying to like drink it. And it not only did it have inedible chunks of stuff, it also tasted like shit. It just oh, was yeah. awful. There's peel and core in there. And so, you know, Grandma had died not even an hour beforehand, and oh, we're sitting God. in front of this ice cream shop crying with laughter at this disgusting, inedible smoothie. <laughs> so, like, even amidst the grief, there's these <sighs> these really funny moments of just, like, <laughs> this is our reality right now. And another one that comes to mind that really made me laugh was, like... She wanted to be cremated, but it was also important to our family. We have, it's an Irish tradition to have open casket funerals. You can do an open casket funeral and be like preserved for the open casket and then they'll cremate you. But that means that you have to have like oh. a rental casket <laughs> yeah. for for the open cas for the wake, <laughs> for the viewing hours. And so it was like, well, it's a rental. We're going to go with the cheapest casket available. Right. <laughs> But the cheapest casket available is somehow the heaviest casket available. And it's cherry wood for inquiring minds. Mm -hmm. um, and as as the pallbearers are struggling down the steps of the funeral home to the hearse with the heaviest casket available. And she was a tiny woman with brittle right. little bird bones. Like she was so not like heavy lined with cast iron <laughs> it must have been man but like the pallbearers are like struggling down the steps so that's funny in and of itself and then like all of us gathered around the hearse were like crying and like very you know sad it's a bit this is the last moment we're gonna see her and my one of my aunts just goes tearfully next to me she goes I'm glad we went with the cherry wood. <laughs> so, like, you know, even in the midst of grief, there's really yeah. funny things. I'm I just want to read the tribute that I wrote to her on Instagram mm -hmm. um because it's basically my little eulogy for her. And then 
I promise I will move on from my grandma's death (laughs) and move on to the rest of the year, which will not take as long to update you on. This past Monday afternoon, September 6th, my beloved grammar... Grammar? (laughs) (laughs) My beloved grammar passed away. (sighs) There we go. Ah, she and my granddad raised me alongside my mom, so she was truly a second mother to me. She woke me up in the morning and literally, literally dragged me out of bed. Listener, sometimes she would throw pots of cold water on me or tickle my feet or pull the covers off to wake me up. I've never been a morning person. Anyways, she drove me the hour to school in the morning and the hour back home every single night. She came to every single performance of every single play while she was still mobile. She cooked us spectacularly inedible dinners most nights and took us out to the local diner on the nights when none of us could stand yet another serving of, this is not an exaggeration, cardboard dry (laughs) pot roast or tomato sauce that had been so watered down that it was just a semi-translucent pink water. Her depression era frugality never left her. She drove me to school to every single, or she drove me to every single dancing practice and traveled to every competition with us, sitting patiently from dawn until dusk as we danced in, in crummy little community centers across the U.S. She joined us at every single speech and debate tournament, bundling us into the car in our suits every Sunday, Saturday morning, year after year. She even became a respected speech and debate judge in her own right, a fixture at tournaments. And all of this was in her retirement. She raised seven kids of her own prior to all that. Two of those kids died tragically young. Eileen of bone cancer at age 12, Tommy at age 20 when he was viciously driven into a tree by a car while he was on his bike. The incident with Tommy happened directly across the street from her house, and she held him in her arms as he died. What parent goes through that? The premature, tragic deaths of not only one, but two kids. But she sh- she soldiered on, somehow. She never lost her faith or wavered. She, she was dauntless and determined like that. She wasn't just a mom to me and my siblings, or her own seven kids, or even her six younger brothers and sisters, who she also helped raise. She was a mom to the entire neighborhood, When all the other moms, exhausted and overwhelmed, dropped their kids off at her house, she supervised them, organized them, and mothered them all. She was an absolute dictator. An unsentimental, yet loving tyrant, running her world with total and unquestioned authority. She frequently had a whistle hanging around her neck, like some sports coach, to call and corral the swarm of little kids perpetually around her. She used the whistle, too. Um, She was the boss, and every single person, kid and adult alike, knew it. She was the eldest child of immigrants trying to make it in a new land, and she took on every responsibility young, without question or pause. She never looked back only forward. She was forgiving, 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 forgiving. She was tolerant, liberal, and open-minded. She was generous with her time, her spirit, and her money. She was beautiful. 
She was industrious, frugal, and thrifty. She was sardonic and darkly funny. She was devout. She was direct. She was smart as a whip right up until her death. She frequently read several books at a time, alternating between biographies of U.S. presidents, sociopolitical analyses of the Middle East, books on economics, and tomes about obscure wars. In the week before her death, she was reading a book about the science and political maneuverings behind gene-editing technology. In another century, she might have been a lawyer or a CEO or an accountant. But she took all that boundless energy, that intelligence, that relentless determination, and she did good for others. She volunteered, ran organizations, fundraised for charities, and helped others in her Irish and Catholic communities. Morning till night, day in and day out, she helped others, ceaselessly, tirelessly. She helped others. About half of the people who encountered her described her with total sincerity, not a shred of irony, as a saint on earth. A literal saint on earth, they would say. It was often difficult to live up to her generosity of spirit and pocketbook. How can you hope to meet the example set by a saint? How can you say enough thank yous? How can you hope to emulate such a life, such kindness, such fierceness, such gentleness, such faith? I could spend my whole life trying with every single blessed breath and still fall far, far short. You can't live up to a saint. You can only be grateful, half disbelieving that you were fortunate enough to encounter one up close for the briefest of moments in a corrupted world. I guess it makes sense that the saint, after doing all the good she could here on earth, eventually went back to where saints belong to enjoy her hard-earned rest. I'll miss you, Grandma. Always. Thank you for everything. I love you. So that's my tribute to my grandma. It's beautiful. Thanks. And now cho- closing that chapter <laughs> and moving on to the rest of my year. That pretty much was my whole <laughs> that September. That was, yeah. So my October was much less dramatic. I came back here to New York and I'd say the highlight of my October, I didn't really get to... um celebrate halloween because of the pandemic but Mm -hmm. i did buy myself an inflatable t-rex costume for future halloween (laughs) so i'm really proud of myself on that one so get ready 2022 oh so excited my november similarly not too eventful the biggest thing in my november was i went to maine for thanksgiving to visit my aunt and uncle who lived there and that was the first time i was there and it was lovely oh my gosh our house is beautiful so beautiful in maine so cold in maine oh boy <laughs> that's a choice to live in a location like that it's gorgeous and so cold uh december was the highlight of my december was i did go back to cleveland 
for mm-hmm. Christmas, but that really coincided with Omicron, and oh boy, oh boy, Omicron is no joke, friends. We had to cancel our larger family gathering, which historically my grandma would always host at her house, and we would have like 50, 60, 65 relatives all at my grandma's house for dinner and we had to cancel that and it was a good thing we did because Mm -hmm. 10 members of my family in the week between me arriving in in cleveland and christmas day not even a week less than a week in the like three days between me arriving in cleveland and christmas day 10 members of my extended family tested positive for covid and then a few more tested positive going up through and around new year's but yeah, that was really stressful. Yeah. And at your birthday, too. Oh, yeah, and my birthday. Ugh, yeah. Not fair. Well, say lovey. So Christmas was... I can't remember the last time Christmas was so stressful. And I had a lot of stressful Christmases, listeners. With the divorced family, Christmas was always a fight. It was always mm. a battle, and we were bargaining chips, or that's how it felt like. And so I have a lot of unpleasant memories of Christmas and the time surrounding it, just because it was all, it always meant yelling and crying and screaming and fighting. But it was the first time, like there had been a beautiful peace for so many years, for like a decade where like once we were all adults and my dad was living in DC and, and instead of Cleveland, Christmas had settled down a lot and become mm-hmm. much more pleasant and less of a less fraught. But this was the first Christmas since my childhood that was like, oh, right, this can be a really unpleasant time when you've got external factors that are making mm-hmm. things really complicated and yeah, difficult. So yeah, that was most of my, that was the biggest highlight of my December. I don't know if there's a big highlight from my January, just kind of plodding along. Oh! I'll use this as my highlight for my January. (laughs) For many years, I have been wanting to get a banana sampler box. (laughs) Um, Because the banana that most of us in the Mm -hmm. United States and Western Europe know and love is the Cavendish banana. Um, And... It is one of thousands of banana species. It's not even the banana that we used to know and love. We used to know and love the Gros Michel. But bananas, commercial bananas, a little lesson here for you guys, are all clones of each other. It's a monoculture because we've cultivated edible bananas to be largely seedless. And so they can't reproduce on their own. So... We just take mm. one nice banana and we clone it and plant it over and over and over and over and over. And that's how we distribute our commercial bananas across the Western Hemisphere. Oh, my God. It's dangerous. It's really playing with fate because if that If that to one work banana gets, gets sick, then yeah. it's dominoes. They, and that's exactly what happened. In the 50s, the mm-hmm. Gros Michel fell victim to a fungus, tropical race four i want to say it's called i don't know a similar thing is about is starting to happen to the cavendish which is the replacement commercial banana that we all now have in the united states um so there's other bananas out there that supposedly taste a lot better and are more interesting Mm. than the cavendish 
but they're not as commercially viable because their peels are not as good for transport or they ripen too quickly or whatever, or they're not pretty enough for American consumers to be like, I want to eat this. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, for many years, have been wanting to try a banana sampler box of alternative bananas. Incredible. And my my sibling, Grace, was kind enough to get me one for Christmas, and it arrived in January, and I tried a bunch of alternate bananas, and they were pretty good. They're not Do you have a favorite? Different enough, but they were pretty good. I really liked Namwa bananas and Mysore bananas. They're both teeny tiny little bananas, like mm-hmm. the length of a really long finger. Mm-hmm. And they're just little bananas. They're a little tart. They're like a little bit, like one of them tastes a little bit like a sweet tart or a, Mm. or like they're, they're distinctly bananas, but like with an undertone of sweet tart or an undertone of strawberry. Interesting. Yeah. Um, if you are interested in trying your own set of alternate bananas or any array of exotic fruit, uh, we'll put a link in the description of the company, miamifruit.org. They're a small, unique, organic, exotic fruit collective farm. I don't know what the right mm-hmm. term is in Florida. And they ship to all places in the United States, unless you live in California. California has agricultural laws that prevent oh, um, yeah. certain incoming. Yeah, certain produce from being shipped to california species so if you live in california your array will be much more limited but if you live in the rest of the united states you can try some pretty funky fruits wow from miamifruit.org so that was my highlight of january trying some funky fruits (laughs) yeah wow yeah so that took a long time, listeners. <laughs> that took a long time. Sorry about that, but that's what's happened in it's my life. A big and event. Yeah. Yeah. What about and- you, Balls? What happened in your life in the past five months? So my change was that I moved. I am back in New York. I am here with Brian. I was like, oh, no, people might think like a big life change means more like interpersonal stuff but no it's a very positive change um but getting to where we are was a lot of work so basically all of september was devoted to full-time apartment hunting because you were in a temporary situation right so we had a sublet we had a sublet for september and october and it was a great sublet but the past, I mean, my whole, I've moved 15 times in oh 10 years, I think. So, oh, my body hurts. My soul hurts for you. Right? Like, even being in a fantastic sublet, it just really, I was like, this is still not my home. And I am, I have learned, I have confirmed, I am holding to it. I am a person who needs the physical root of this is my home, my space, in order for other things to fall into place. So I felt very upended for two months. And the thing that kept me, I think, sane and positive and hopeful amidst 
full-time apartment hunting in a pandemic in New York City. Oh my God, um, that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. Was doing rehearsals for a performance art piece, which then happened in October. And it was such a delight. We were paid well. It was an incredible cast, all women. Everyone had this like incredibly cool, unique background and life experience. We had a probably 40-year age range amongst the cast and directing and writing team. It was just like it was just so special and so creative and such a nice welcome back to the city. So that was like keeping me up while the day-to-day apartment to apartment calling realtors, finding out their secret broker's fees, all of that was Mm -mm. yuck. October, we did two more weeks of apartment hunting. And now I am sitting in our new apartment, which has an in-unit washer-dryer and an (gasps) elevator in the building. (gasps) And listeners, it is... It's probably the loudest that it gets, like, right now, or maybe in an hour when school gets out, but it is so quiet at night. I cannot, I did not believe it was possible after living in Inwood for three years. I get such good sleep in this king bed. Yeah, that's right. We got a king bed. That was a November treat. I didn't know that. Oh, my God. It has changed my life. Changed my life. If you regularly share a bed with someone else and you have the space to size up, this is a case where size matters. Mm. Delicious. (laughs) It's exquisite. So, yeah. So, October was finding the place and then... I flew home to Florida, spent a week full-time hunting and finding pieces to furnish this apartment because we had sold all of our furniture at the end of, or, yeah, the end when of our time moved. in New York. When you I was going to say the end of the pandemic. Oh, walls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you sweet semi-child. So that that was stressful because... I was still anticipating the move. Hmm. And I rented a 16-foot truck. My mom drove it up with me from Florida. And this whole time, I'm still waiting for the move itself to happen. And if you've ever moved in a city, negotiating a truck through a city, negotiating moving from the truck onto the sidewalk into the building, all of that is so stressful. And again, we're still doing it in a pandemic. So we managed to get just like the most magical crew of acquaintances and friends to come assist with this move. And I had planned it. Okay, I'm going to go into this very niche nuance of the move because I still cannot believe it happened. Feel free to skip ahead if you don't give a crap about moving or if it's a very triggering subject for you. It is for me now, too. So I get it. (laughs) But... I had planned for us to arrive the day that street cleaning happens on the side of the road where our apartment is. And we were going to arrive in like the final 15 to 20 minutes of the street cleaning hour because it would mean that all of the cars had pulled away. We would be able to pull the truck up and not have to double park on the street. Genius. It was simultaneously election day 
where they suspend alternate side parking rules, which means nobody has to move their car. (gasps) So then I'm like, all right, well, I don't have a choice. We have to arrive. We can't wait another week. Like, I guess we will just double park. We are probably 15 minutes out, and I get a call from Brian, and he says, can you please hurry? (laughs) And he sends a photo because people probably just didn't double check, and there was like a full clearance, like a four-car space directly in front of our apartment building. And so I was like, I mean, we're in Brooklyn traffic, so there's no hurry, but <laughs> we, will, we will try to avoid red lights. In the meantime, as pe- people tried to start taking the spots, because even uh-huh. if they didn't realize the election day had canceled it, they were still like, well, we're at the end of the street cleaning period, so I can probably take the spot by now. Yeah. So Brian stood there and just redirected people. He told the first person, he was like, we've got a big moving truck coming. I'm sorry. And he said it was a very nice looking mom with the kid in the backseat. And she was like, okay, I get it. Yeah. The next yeah. person he said, I knew right away, they would not accept that as a reasonable <laughs> request. <laughs> Incredible. So he said, the guy pulls up and he says, sorry, uh, you can't actually park here. And the guy's like, what? And he's like, we got a film shoot. Yeah. The, the crew's about to pull it. <laughs> Oh, my God. He pretended to be a PA. And if you've ever met Brian, like, you could not cast a better person to just play generic PA on any set. PA, for anybody who doesn't know, means production assistant on a a film set. And so he's in, like, a flannel, a black hoodie, a black pants. Like, he looks exactly Exactly like he Exactly like any PA you've ever seen. And the guy's like, what but i want to park here and brian's like i know man i want you to be able to park here too it's just you know the film shoot (laughs) oh my god incredible incredible so we arrived and my mom just pulls pulls right in and the reason why this is so worth telling is because i underestimated how well actually i accurately estimated everyone i talked to was like you can just double park and i was like i really don't think there's enough room we're on a one-way street it's not that wide and listeners i was right there is no world where we could have double parked and not completely shut down the block yeah exactly so um from the time we parked to having an empty truck it i don't want to get this wrong but i think it was an hour a 16 foot truck magical humans one person we found through task rabbit and then i think the other two are catering friends and then a friend from college who lives like a 15 minute walk away and having an elevator and having a big lobby space where you can dump things in the interim Mm -hmm. But that was huge because that then meant that we could clear the truck out and Game be done changer. with it. Yeah. So I would say November 3rd by 2 p.m. I was like, things are going to be okay. <laughs> <gasps> that is an incredible moving story. That's just astonishing. It was 
Astonishing. Also, my mom and I have never driven a 16-foot truck. <laughs> and they're, they're so much better now than I think they were 10 years ago. The, ours had a rear view camera that made things. What? Yeah, it was great. So definitely uh, go for the Penske. They're better maintained. It's a nicer. It's a it's a much better. Uh, what do they call where you sit? Like the cab. Yeah. Um, yeah. That all is a lot nicer than U-Haul. So 10 out of 10 Penske. for Penske. Okay. And actually price wise, it ended up, I think, being slightly cheaper than the U-Haul quotes I got. So that was like ending this two month period, which was so unsettled and so stressful and now we have this beautiful apartment in this beautiful quiet neighborhood we are a six minute walk from our sublet (laughs) wow after looking at apartments literally all over brooklyn we were like no this is the neighborhood we want to be in so that was great and then given given all the rest of us hope man (laughs) Oh my gosh. And and like we saw the apartment after dark, the electrical was turned off. So we had to use our iPhone flashlights to see it. But there's no broker's fee. It was on the lower end of our budget. It's not rent stabilized. So that could potentially come back to bite us in the butt. Mm, Pandemic Um, pricing is expiring. Well, I think think this is fairly priced. Okay. Outside of the pandemic, um, we actually rates had already risen back up when we were gotcha. looking. But what it means is that rent stabilized units can only be raised price wise, I think 1.7% mm-hmm. when you re-sign your lease. So this means they can raise it however much they want. But Everybody in the building has been here forever. I think there's a really low turnover rate. So that seems like they're going to be reasonable. Also, I just can't get over the fact that you have laundry in unit. That's a oh, New Rachel. York City unicorn. I I will never get over it. And, and I also will have a also... massive closet. We have three closets, Rachel. Oh, the storage. I oh, We have I... three closets. And we have a king-size oh. bed, which <laughs> houses so much stuff underneath it. It's like you live in Chicago. Oh, my Lord. You've got so... Wow. It's really like... I've never been to your new apartment, and yet I love it. Oh, I know. You still haven't been... Well, because, as we'll get to, so we had a really nice Thanksgiving with friends. Things felt okay with COVID. Like, everybody was vaxxed. Most people were even boosted by then. Uh, and then in a period of like three weeks, all of a sudden I was like, actually, sorry, I can't do this social gathering that I had agreed to. I'm not sure about that. That feels unsafe. Also in December, um, I was, had picked up riding the train again every day because I was babysitting in Manhattan for this family that I am obsessed with. (laughs) I love them. They have a new baby. So now there's three girls and... That really, I think, like, got me through December and January as things started to get scarier. It was like, no, I still, I count on getting to see this group of people every day. And they were testing regularly because the dad was performing in a Broadway show. And that all seemed like, okay, 
December, I decided I was going to drive down to Florida for Christmas. One, so I could bring some stuff back with me that I would not have been able to fly with. But two, because of Omicron, I was like, I think I have the option to drive. That just seems safer. Brian was staying here to work. And the night before I set out to drive, he came home and he said, like, I have kind of a sore throat. And so in the morning, he put a mask on and I was like, oh, like, it's probably fine. You're probably just like wound, like your body's just done. You know, you've been working a lot. But I'm really glad he kept that mask on because two days later, we found out he had COVID. And so did my brother in Florida, brother Michael. So similarly, Christmas plans, a lot of them got wiped And it, like, we were so grateful that both of them did recover within a week to 10 days. It was pretty miserable for them while they were in it, but Mm -hmm. nothing where they would need, like, specific medication or hospitalization. So, you know, we were very grateful, but I don't think of, like, a the flu or a cold as mild like it makes you completely change the way you're living your life for a period of time yeah so it sucks it's miserable yeah and so fortunately brian was here alone so he could isolate michael has his own house so he could isolate but it really it just was like oh this was not the christmas we were hoping for no and similarly extended family also tested positive so we did not see any of them. And I was also panicked that I had it, but on a delay. So I was wearing a mask inside for the first yeah. several days. and But I never got it. So that was miraculous. And fortunately, both of them were recovering as I was like, okay, I guess I'll drive back to New York. I don't know if this is a dumb idea, but I really need the work. And... Yeah. I guess I'll just, you know, up my mask game. January sort of plodding along. The show that my babysitting family came to the States for was supposed to run through the first week of February, potentially the second week. And they closed the show three to four weeks early because Mm -hmm. they weren't getting enough numbers in with COVID, like just due to COVID is kind of the yeah. reasoning. What that meant is that suddenly no one on that show is getting paid. Suddenly I'm not getting paid. And they uh, are completely uprooted again in like a period of 10 days. So <laughs> it's a big old bummer. <laughs> it's a big old bummer. And like, my babysitting family is now back in England where they're from and it's like it's losing a job which also was like the first steady paycheck I've had in literal years and it's also like the only other people I would see without a mask on Mm -hmm. and so it was like basically losing my New York family all in Mm. a week that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And like I feel 
I'm now two weeks out from it and I feel okay again. But it's like a heartbreak, you know? It's like, oh, but this is like, like the baby and I really bonded. Um, and it's just hard when like people who are so good at taking care of you, you know, there's just no choice. They just have to go. So, and so suddenly, right? And that's the thing. We always knew it was going to be a short term, but it's like it's like if you were at a play date and you're like, "Hey guys, you get to have a three hour play date." You're not expecting a sleepover, but then all of a sudden, your mom comes an hour in and is like, "Sorry, we gotta go." Like the the electricians at our house, and we have to meet them there. Yeah, you're like, no, but it it was only gonna be three. Can't I just have the three? Yeah, we're in the middle of a game. Come on. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, again, fortunately, everybody's healthy still. But yeah, I don't know. It was a, another huge change of like, okay, I thought I was going to have a little more time to figure out my next hustle. And it, it's just like, nope, it's happening now. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. So this is all to say. This is not all to say. Uh, at all but while i'm here if anybody needs any graphic design or copywriting or copy editing or help with social media or photos taken please feel free to reach out walls like buildings at gmail.com yeah so that's my roundup the we have two quick little questions for this giant episode and they are what is some? This is what I like to ask people on their birthday, and I was like, "This makes sense to ask at this period of time." What is something that you learned during the hiatus, and what is something that you are looking forward to now? I think I learned I'm not very good at taking care of plants, as much as I love them, as much as I love my plants. I'm not a good plant. Mom. Oh, I thought you said you're not good at taking airplanes. Um, You're not good at taking- I actually think I'm quite good at taking airplanes. <laughs> Thank you very much. I know. Well, it's good. Um, no, I'm good actually at- a good traveler. But um, yeah, I think I learned maybe high quality fake plants are more my speed. A good option. A very um, good option. I'm keeping my my current array of plants. They're limping along, but uh, I don't think it's, it would be responsible of me to purchase any more. Um, and as they slowly die, I don't think I should rep- purchase replacements. Watch this space. I'll probably go back on that. Um, what's sure. something I'm looking forward to? <laughs> hey, listeners, during the pandemic, I've gotten super into K-pop, so I'm looking forward to a K-pop concert at the end of February. <gasps> in New York? Yeah, in New York. Oh my gosh, incredible. Yeah, so that's what I'm looking forward to. What, Bit lame, but twice it? the band is twice. They're a girl group. They're um, low key, a uh, bigger, more successful girl group than Blackpink. They're just less well known in the West. So whoa, yeah. Oh my gosh, incredible! Yeah, they're it's so silly. I'm 32, and I got super into K-pop during the pandemic. <laughs> It's so lame, but I that's what I'm looking forward to. If that's lame, then what's cool, Rachel? A lot of other things. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. 
What about you, Wolves? What's something you learned? And what is something that you are looking forward to? Yeah, I learned two things. Number one, that I I feel like I have a new relationship with my own worth. And I am building that still. But I just had this realization when I was alone driving 20 hours from Florida to New York Mm. that I do not have to continue living essentially at a poverty level. There's no like moral ethics to doing that. Actually, it doesn't make me good or bad. It just makes a lot of things harder for me. Mm -hmm. So... I am allowed to and actually deserve to earn the amount of money that will allow me to have a less urgent and relation an emotional relationship with money. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I'm allowed to get to a place where like actually some money is disposable to use that word. Like disposable income. Mm-hmm. Or as maybe I want to call it like consumable income. Like I can actually use it on things. So to to bring you happiness, to bring you enjoyment. And to bring also like some convenience. And that it's not like, okay, well, should I like I don't want to have to choose between getting tortillas and getting bread at the grocery store anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's a really big one. The other thing I learned is that it, it's actually more of an apology. I would like to apologize to any Aquarians out there who I may <laughs> have been prejudiced against because I am really enjoying this Aquarius season and this vibe. And I have found, thanks to Facebook birthday reminders, that I'm actually like very fond of many Aquarians. And so I think I let one annoying Aquarian who was really up to no good uh, prejudice me against the whole group. Wow. And so I you would know, like my to grandma apologize. Was an Aquarian. Well, and that makes so much sense. When you talk about her there with the whistle and all the kids like coming to her, incredible. Mm-hmm. A huge community leader. Yeah. So I'm really enjoying Aquarius season. All right. Growth, change. We love it. (laughs) Something I am looking forward to. Well, I'll be a little bit vague. I think I have some travel coming up. So I'm hopeful that that will happen and that it will be really fun. And I'm also really looking to (laughs) not moving for like three years. Oh, I'm just not going to do it. All right, folks. I've got one more wreck. It's TV. It's okay. I just can't let it pass by. Squid Game. It's oh. so it's it's a lot. It's intense. You might not always be in the headspace for it, but episode six, much like episode eight of season, season two, two of Westworld, episode six of season one of Squid Game is one of the most exquisitely crafted episodes of television and one of the most emotional hours of television. I think you'll encounter. It's very good. All right. Well, once I get some more job things lined up, maybe I'll watch it. 
Mm-hmm. I need things to be stable to go emotionally deep. You know, you need to Fair. be able to trust that like the ladder will hold as you climb down to go deep and dark. You got to mm-hmm. be able to get back mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks everybody for being here. You can still reach us in all the regular ways. Uh, our email is withrachelandwalls at gmail.com. We are on Instagram at withrachelandwalls and on Twitter at rachelandwalls. And who knows? Maybe you can reach us in irregular ways, too. Maybe tape a, a message to the back of a snail and set it free. See Ooh. if it finds us. You yeah. Know, take up telekinesis. Figure out if it works for you. As always, this episode has been produced by us, Rachel Kenny and Wells Trimble, and our music, our wonderful music that it's so good to hear again, is composed, produced, performed, everything by the wonderful, inimitable Royer Bacchus. And always remember, a couple of strangers on the internet believe in you. Bye. Yarp. Wow, we're doing great. We're doing great. (laughs) Mercury is stationing direct today. And that's not always a pretty sight. It's it's like doing a full 180 um, on a cliff, as shown in a video that Chani Nicholas reposted. You could fall off at any moment is kind of the idea. Cool.